On this week's episode, we stroll down the railroad tracks with Stand By Me. How many leeches did you count? Did Vern ever find his pennies? And did we hear an entire top 40 in this movie? Find out now you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Welcome to another episode of 24 Flames Per Second. This is the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. Everybody, uh, I'm your host, Robert Spiewak. Welcome to the show. This month, as we uh, continue rolling on through August, which is uh, a very a very warm month. We're in a very warm room. Uh, this movie, at times, looks as though the characters are also very warm. <laughs> Um, this week, everybody, we're talking about Stand By Me. I think I chose it specifically because of it being summery vibes. Um, and so here we are. Um, and, I mean, we, we throw a rock a couple weeks in the future, and uh, and we'll be talking about another Stephen King adaptation uh, for preparation for the new It Part 2 coming out, or Chapter 2. So, uh, I don't know. It's... We're, we're, we're rolling into some Stephen King vibes. October's not too far away, if in the cosmic sense. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, everybody, thanks for, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Um, excited to get into it. Um, uh, let me think if there's anything to plug. I believe season two of the Funhouse podcast has returned mm-hmm. at this point in time. Yep. We, uh, we'll, we can talk more about that later. Yep. Um, go listen to that. Um, the... July episode of VH Quest has been out for a couple weeks. Go listen to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's uh, the newest news that I have for you. Um, but, yeah, everybody, let's uh, let's get into this episode. What do you say? Um, across the table for me this week, the chopper to my Milo, Casey Rom. Hello. Hi. How are you? Doing good. Um, ran straight here from a work event, and I have had two wines. As if. Full <laughs> oh. disclosure. <laughs> Two wines. Two wines. I was going to say, as if, as if it was a train? Uh, something like that. I was actually in the slowest Uber ever, though. He just like mm. kept going all these ways that I never would have gone, and I was very annoyed the, the worst. entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good to, good to have you here. Um, you. Uh, did you watch the movie this week? I did not watch the movie this week. I was uh, off the grid all weekend, so oh. I downloaded... Just like the kids. Yes. I downloaded uh, Stranger Things 3, and that's what I was watching this weekend. Very good. Yeah. Some parallels that's kids. There. Yeah. Kids running Actually, amok. there's like a, a shot in Stranger Things 3 of them walking down a train track that is very clearly in a that's right. to stand by me. That's so. right. Um, I was in the right headspace. Okay, yeah. very good. Mm-hmm. Um, do you got any fun facts and information um, for us this week? I have a week? lot of fun facts, oh, actually, yeah. about this uh, particular movie. Um, so Stand By Me, uh, 1986, directed by Rob Reiner. Mm. Um, it is based on the Stephen King short story, The Body, and you were talking about Stephen King adaptations that are um, going to come up. But famously, Stephen King said that this was the best adaptation of his work, at nice. least at the moment that he screened it. 
um, which is fitting because it did win the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, cool. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it also stars some very famous child actors, um, Star Trek's Will Wheaton, mm. one of the Corys, specifically Feldman. <laughs> um, the best Corey. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, man. Um, the other one died. Yeah. Died <laughs> Jerry O'Connell, still a very famous character actor. Mm-hmm. Jack Bauer himself, Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, River Phoenix, who tragically died at the age of 23 from yeah. an overdose and brother of Joaquin Phoenix. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to dig into, I think, in this cool. movie and, and the context of this kind of, you know, brat pack that existed in that era. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Great. Thank you yeah. for uh, doing that, bringing that tasty research. <laughs> um, excuse me. Uh, great. Let's, um, let's get into the panels this week. This week we have a, a head-to-head uh, and so what that means, we have one roaster, one defense. So let's go over to the roaster this week. Theater Swiss Army Knife. You can find her <laughs> show, A Word on Plays, wherever you get your podcasts and on uh, f- social media at Plays Pod. Amy Gang. Hi. Hi, how are it's you? Me. I'm all right. I'm very busy. I'm producing a play. I mean, you so don't. I'm taking don't, care of that. You don't have to be here. No. <laughs> I know. But I if really, so really dislike this movie. Oh. I'm just saying. So I, I took time out of my you don't busy stand schedule. By it. Ouch. I do not stand. I don't stand by much. <laughs> <laughs> very waffly character. Uh, but very good. It's good to have you here. Thank hey. you for being here. And across the table on the defense this week. Oh, this is like a theater head to head. Doting theater father. Um, find him uh, hoeing out in the front yard. And on Instagram at BTAVES. <laughs> I'm never going to hoe out on the front yard. You don't know. You might get someday, into gardening. Someday. Say your football son dies. Oh, we're um, talking about gardening. Damn. Oh. The dad <laughs> in the movie. The dad in I the mean, movie. I mean, I'm current. No. Was hoeing no. in the front yard. Oh, okay. Yo, that, oh, Ryan God. Taves. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I've also got a... I'm good. I've also got this mustache, so I'm getting that dad. Yeah. That 90s dad vibe. Maybe. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. It's not bad. Or just creepy. It's... It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> it is, what it is. You Thanks for having sure me. do have that mustache. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's good to good to have you here. I love um, this movie. Okay, we're just put those feelings to the test. <laughs> Hell yeah! Before you know it, let's do it. Um, and so yeah, let's uh, let's start things off. Let's start with movie in a minute. You know how it goes. We'll give you um, take it. sixty seconds <laughs> to give us the full plot synopsis of Stand by Me. Spoilers and all. I'll give you a three count, and then you're off. Are you ready? Sure. All righty. In three, two, one, go. We open up on a writer looking back at his life in Castle Rock, Oregon. Uh, It uh, extends to a flashback uh, in 1959, the summer of 1959. And we open up with uh, four boys, uh, Gordy, Vern, uh, Teddy... I don't remember, and uh, uh, Chris, who are uh, realize that they have uh, found the location of a body of a local boy, um, and so they go on an adventure to find this local boy, uh, the dead body of this, uh, the body of this boy, um, and uh, they uh, along the way they encounter obstacles, um, they encounter different trials and tribulations, uh, they learn about themselves and grief, and they have some emotional catharsis. And I think that's it. Oh, 
Interesting. Maybe that's uh, my take. There's no final confrontation, but I mean, if that's where you want to end it, there's a final confrontation it. amongst right. a, a budding gang of older boys who we'll try to vie for the body. All right, that's 59 seconds. You're good. Yes! We'll count it. I would say you were pretty light on details, but we'll, well, we'll, we'll get count, we'll count it. Okay, great. Good job. I'm doing the five sentence. Um, Paragraph. If I were to add anything, tactic. Um, it would just be to further elaborate on what happens at the end. The teenage boys get there, mm -hmm. and uh, the kids have a gun, and there's a standoff with the gun over the body. They mm -hmm. don't end up taking the body back. They uh, anonymously report its location mm -hmm. and forsake the glory that they were after all along. Then they all fall out of contact with each other and grow old, and that's that. <laughs> like. Busboys in a restaurant, mm -hmm. right? That's the quote. Oh. Friends go in and out of your life yes. like busboys in a restaurant. That is what he said. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Did, so did I write the line? No. Poetic. <laughs> I never had any friends like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, whoever so does. So sad. Doesn't yeah, he says Jesus, Jesus, Jesus whoever, whoever does. does. Yeah. And the answer yeah. is women. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fair. Um, but, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the plot. Um, yeah. And so I think uh, with that, Brian, we're gonna take a quick break. Yep. We'll come back uh, and we'll get your opening statements while you're here defending Stand by Me. We will be right back, everybody. And we're back, Brian. Mm -hmm. You yeah. just uh, com technically completed movie in a minute. Okay, I got it. Give um, me the win. <laughs> Let me hear those fucking horns. Um, <laughs> Give but, me some uh, voice. But yeah, um, let's get your opening statements while you're here defending sure. Stand By Me. Um, uh, personally, I really love this movie. Um, ever since I saw it uh, back in, probably was maybe too young to watch it, elementary school. Um, I thought it was just like, it has such a great emotional depth to it. Um and uh, I really love the characters. Um, I'll just go through my, I, I wrote some points down. So I, first off, I think it's a great adaptation of a Stephen King uh, novel. Um, it's, it's, again, it's, it feels very wholesome to me, but it's still very dark. Um, and uh, I think the performances in it are incredibly wonderful and powerful, especially from the young cast. Um, just the uh, performances that Rob Reiner gets out of those kids is uh, is amazing. It's a, that's a feat uh, in itself. Um, I love the bonds between the boys. Um, I think there's some nuance kind of stuff about coming of age and also uh, about um, men, young men learning about their emotional intelligence or lack thereof of emotional intelligence. Um, yeah, love Richard Dreyfuss's narration throughout the story. I think it's the one time where narration works um, in in a movie, um, and uh, <laughs> the you know uh, the quote unquote story that Gordy tells, uh, I still still think holds up and is still very funny. Um, and uh, I think it has a great soundtrack, albeit um, you know kind of putting all these points together to kind of give Amy some credit. Uh, it's not aged well. There's still some very problematic things in it. Um, but uh, yeah, I could, uh, I'm gonna try and take a stab at defending some of those things. Okay, um, Amy, I think um, we were talking before we recorded and we were describing how this mm -hmm. is very character driven. So do you wanna it start with the characters? Character sure. Great. I mean, the characters are fine. They're kids. They're. I mean, it, it's supposed to be about the emotional journey of these, these children. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely, I feel like, so it looks like we have a, a core of four children. 
Um, but really, we're looking at the dynamic between two, and then we have a couple throwaways, right? And it works, mm. but it, there's just not much. There's not much there uh, for the entire film. Like this could have been a much much shorter film. A um, lot, lot, lot less like wide landscape shots. A lot less <laughs> uh, moments where everybody's singing the same pop song together, um, which was. It hit me like every three minutes of the film. There's a new radio song coming on, and, and I get it. Radios were popular in the '50s, but man, was that a little hit, hitting the nail on the head? I don't sure. Know. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I think the. I mean, I feel like the film is still is pretty short. It's like a 90 minute film. Yeah, it's short and still can't fill out its time. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's fair to an extent mm-hmm. because if the what the book was the story is only like 40 pages. I was gonna ask. Yeah, it was a short, short story. It's a short. Well, yeah, it's like it's not even a novella. It's a short mm-hmm. story. So I guess that makes sense. But I, I do I do want to push on the idea that I think. I do think Rob Reiner does a good job, and the screenwriters do a good job of like of trimming um, the mm. fat with the movie. Um, I think that every scene does have an intention to it, and I, I would even mm-hmm. argue that I think we do get a lot of emotional depth and a context about the boy's history. Mm. Um, and I think there is a feat in just being able to unpack every. I mean, you're right. It's primarily the story of Gordy, mm-hmm. and. Gordy's relationship with Chris, Mm -hmm. right? So, but I still think we get enough of the other two boys are three dimensional enough Mm -hmm. um, that we we do get a little bit of insight, like that exposition comes through in a very natural way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, I think yeah, very much disagree. I feel like the Mm -hmm. exposition is very awkward, and I and a lot of it comes through Richard Dreyfuss's narration, which I Mm. I just. I'm sorry, if you need to narrate that much in your film, like, mm-hmm. do you really have the kind, does it really need to be, be a film? Like, if you can't, yeah. show it, <laughs> you know? Maybe we should have just left this as a short story. Could have been a Stand By Me radio play. Mm, there sure. you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that, I, I hear what you're saying there. I mm-hmm. think that the, the narration works as a device, though, because he is literally, isn't the idea, and check me on this, Casey and Robert, isn't the idea that he's writ- written this story? Like, the story that he's writing right. is the, the story of the body. The idea that he is a writer, this child grew up to be a writer and is writing this story about mm-hmm. this significant moment in his childhood is definitely... Um, like it's that's I mean obviously that's just a just trope like it's it. a giant trope yeah you didn't like I, trope. it's I'm not a huge fan of the trope because yeah. it relies a lot on the narration and sure. not a lot on um, the actual core and act and it's a lot of nostalgia which is also kind of a a weird thing you know when when somebody's saying well we knew that things were gonna change when we were kids like yeah. is that truth or is it you know like kind this, of a hack it's yeah it's a hack thing yeah. it's very shiny it's very nostalgic and mm-hmm. i get a lot of people have that nostalgia and they connect to that nostalgia but you're mm-hmm. connecting to nostalgia and not really the truth of a moment um and and i i really do enjoy i'm sorry i'm seating here i'm sorry let me get angry <laughs> um yeah, i really do enjoy the emotional moments that the young boys have yeah but i takes a lot a lot of time to get there and mm. uh and even the the story that you think is funny mm-hmm. um and holds up really well mm-hmm. just felt like this like meandering around like oh we have to fill time somehow yeah you know 
Um, so it like it just felt like every moment was like let's let's put something in there and and yeah maybe it felt intentional to the characters but it really didn't do anything for the pacing mm. or the plot which wasn't yeah, was non-existent so. <laughs> speaking of uh of the, the vomiting <laughs> Jeez. Oh, God. um um Jesus. yeah i i hear that vomiting um, it was so i mean like i get it it was childish yeah it was yeah also it's like, like written oh, by a boy a 12 yeah. 12 year old boy right but I, I i like that scene because it gives us well one it gives us more insight into the character and it shows mm-hmm. us like how how good of a writer he actually is because i do think that the story is like it's a standalone like the 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 pie eating story. I'm, I'm going to say this in the context of the film. The 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 quote unquote the lard ass story. story. Yeah, um, is like his name is lard ass. Yeah, like it shows us clearly a true story. I think it, <laughs> I think it also like th- there's a lot of subtext in that story because if if we're going to put lard ass like as like lard ass is is Gordy in a way because mm. Gordy is like is always hazed and he's not seen for who he is by his mm. parents and by his community. And so he has to go to these kind of fringy friends who are rough around the edges in order to uh, find truth and in order to be seen by these people. Like that dad, the dad has that line where he's like, he's saying, uh, you know, like, why couldn't you have friends like, uh, what's the brother's name? Uh, Dennis? Denny. Dennis, I think. It's Denny. Dennis or Denny. Denny. Yeah. De- yeah. It's like, why couldn't you have friends like Dennis? And, and you, y- I, I understand, like, why the dad would say that, mm-hmm. but I also understand, like, why Gordy would, like, write these kinds of stories or be involved okay. with these kind of people or even fucking hold a gun and, like, mm-hmm. saying, guns are cool. Like, it's because, because I feel... Because he's 12 and guns are cool. Right. Well, and he's a boy, too. Yeah. And, like, and that and that's, like... And in this context, I think that's why I think we've in 2019 we can look back on this film and like well we probably wouldn't raise men like this but if it works as a time capsule yeah. I mean, you could see how the dad interacts with the mom and like and how mm-hmm. the dad is just like don't talk to my like don't interrupt me and stuff it's like it's not hitting us over the head with like the emo- like the given circumstances of the character it helps us like I don't feel like it's ever spoon fed to us I feel okay, like it, it, it earns those mm-hmm. emotional truths when you have the characters breaking down and stuff. But also, I don't want to dominate. What, what no, I mean, there's two of us, so somebody's going to dominate it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, I just, I think that it it is kind of hitting you over the head. It's stopping the, the action of the, the movie mm-hmm. to show you what happened in the past. You know, mm-hmm. it's stopping the action of the movie to, like, give you this this story or to um to kind of give you the exposition that what you need to know happened Mm -hmm. so you understand what's going to happen next you know like it stops the story and goes back and has these hazy Mm -hmm. they're hazy they're like not even full color (laughs) flashbacks where you're like oh this is yeah it's screen door effect like yeah this is really like in the past and mm-hmm. this is my sad emotional life i don't know I yeah <laughs> i i think that like i i do think that those flashbacks are necessary especially the ones with gordy's right. parents because um when gordy finally sees the body mm-hmm. that's when he has that cathartic moment right that's when his trauma mm-hmm. really comes to the surface and they're he, yeah. they're necessary because 
the exposition is necessary, right. but the exposition isn't really well married into the arc of the plot. Mm. What what makes you say that? Well, I mean, first of all, we have the whole narration. Right. So trope. the narration is just the narration is used as expo- like exposition doesn't come out naturally. It it's like from what I said, like the plot stops yeah. to give exposition, uh-huh. you know, and and the narration plays over to give exposition, and we're mm-hmm. not using the characters in the moment to to give you the you know the exposition or what you know who they are mm. i think <laughs> uh, i i get that and i think i also think that the movie kind of suffers from the time period it was made in too the and 80s, like yeah. yeah the 80s all of that and, cocaine yeah <laughs> just all that cocaine baby let's just write this guys <laughs> um but i also think like i i think there is a little bit of uh i think and it kind of comes to a detriment in the film, mm-hmm. but it actually, eh, no, I disagree with that. <laughs> I'm going back on that. I like that the film feels wholesome. It feels like mm-hmm. a Steven Spielberg-y type. Of, it's like labeled as like on the outside looking, and you don't mm-hmm. when you see the cover of the movie. When you see, you just see it's like, oh, it's four kids and they're going on an adventure. Yeah, but which is why I couldn't remember if I'd seen this film right. before because I've yeah. seen this film before so like many. millions and millions. Of times. I mean, we were talking <laughs> about the Sandlot again. earlier. Yeah. Like it has that, but I, I do. I actually like the Sandlot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like not in the sense. I mean, in the sense of like it. it it follows no, yeah. that kind of trope and and uh, genre film of like mm. a bunch of bunch of kids getting together, like having adventures, uh, yeah. uh, having sort of a uh, anti-authoritarian or challenging relationship with adult figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like I feel like Stand by Me, like it's it's like it's coded in that, mm-hmm. but really there's a there's a truly dark and incredibly like existential kind of core at the in the in the film mm-hmm. of just like. What does it mean? What what happens when the people who are in positions of power, like your parents, or mm-hmm. like have failed you? And how do you create, you know, kind of truths based off of like how, how do you move forward? Like even like Chris's character has this this moment where he says, "Your dad isn't your dad. I'm gonna be your father." Yeah, that was super weird. Yeah. <laughs> like strange choice but yeah interesting but for sure <laughs> but, I, but i feel like that's telling of like mm-hmm. the the emotional intelligence of those kids it's like they've had to grow up faster mm-hmm. than than their peers like he you know the reason going back to that conversation like chris chris says he's like you we're not going to be friends when we get into school when we get into like secondary school like and yeah. chris, uh, 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 gordy's like well why not it's like well it's because you're smart we're not cut from the same cloth and like the fact that that kid is able to have that awareness and that mm-hmm. kind of intelligence like i think really is what sets it apart from these qualms of like oh it's a nostalgia boys like it mm-hmm. i think it's what sets it apart from a sandlot or like a cook like a steven you spielberg stay film. away from this <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean i'll argue that i think yeah, yeah, i mean but also uh, it's like it's an adaptation but i think rob mm-hmm. reiner has done a nice job of like making an accessible film but really using that accessibility as his leverage to really cover some very very powerful themes about growing up yeah and like without people with parents who have failed you but it it (laughs) feels like it's so unaware of like the toxic masculinity that it's forcing upon the children you know it's so unaware of this like it's not that they're growing up it's that they're well it's not that they're growing up emotionally it's that they're being forced into uh this male Mm -hmm. 
you know, like, this is what we're going to be. We can't, you know, we're not, we're, we're trying not to cry. We're trying to be tough, you know, but it doesn't seem to like ever look back on that, you know, which is probably because of the time. Well, um, and I, 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 and I see what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. And like in 2019, it goes, it's a classic 24 flames argument of like going mm-hmm. back and looking at a film right. and saying like, well, that's problematic. And I, I agree with you hundred mm-hmm. percent on that. But I think I I think it le- it lets the audience kind of decide mm-hmm. what they want to take away from the film, like like in the sense of like I I don't like having things necessarily spoon fed to me, like That's I don't fair. I don't like having. But you like, like this movie. Well, well, yeah, but like, <laughs> but I don't feel like it's spoon feeding me. Okay. Like I I feel like it's like I feel like it's just letting the scene happen, like in the right. sense of like. Even Richard, the reason I like Richard Dreyfuss's uh, narration mm-hmm. is because it is so matter of fact. It's kind of clinical. It's unemotional, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's. Oh, and fun. it's entirely inherently tinged with emotion, and like anything that's like looking back on our mm-hmm. childhood is inherently emotional. Well, it sounds yeah. clinical and unemotional, but it is inherently an emotional process for the Richard Dreyfus character and inherently tinged with this like overtone of nostalgia which is yeah like I think well I mean and he's grown he's gotten you know hopefully he's gotten through this Mm -hmm. you know this traumatic point in his I mean the the whole movie is about this Mm -hmm. formative experience like so I like that I feel like if I was the one telling the story you know Mm -hmm. it's I would want it to feel I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like Rob Reiner relies on the child actors to show us the emotion, mm-hmm. whereas Richard Dreyfus is sort of like the cool, collected, like, okay. like, like, uh, what, what kind of narrator is that? Omniscient? No. I feel like uh, omnipresent. No, I would even say maybe a little objective in a way. Okay. Like he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily. He just kind of tells us, like, well, no, omnipresent. I'm going to, anyway, <laughs> I should know this, but like, anyway, like, I think it, it just goes back to this idea of like, I think the thing, the scene I think about is, you know, not necessarily an emotionally dramatic scene, but like the com- comedic scene where, uh, uh, you got the dog, right? What's the dog's name? Chop, chopper, chopper, chopper. and chopper. Because is like, of course you have a dog. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> a scary junkyard gonna, dog. If you're going to have a, if you're going to have an eighties movie, you're going to have a, about kids. You got to have a junkyard dog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but like the, the, the part, like I really love the line delivery of like, ch- like, Chopper, sick balls. Like it's just like Richard mm-hmm. Dreyfus does such a good job of just making that scene like just so like letting the like the scene play out and mm-hmm. almost kind of like a almost like a godlike figure just being like, <laughs> Oh, look at those boys. They're gonna get into trouble. And like I think that I think that really works for the film mm-hmm. um, because it allows the audience to kind of put their own like to allow their own kind of subjective take on it like if it, if the narrator was so emotionally like oh the dog came at me but blah, blah, like it would have it would have it wouldn't have added that uh, that juxtaposition that is needed to make those moments work and make those like make us relate with the characters okay so the the character acting of the children is balanced by the narration of Richard Dreyfus yeah 
And so those actors did both of those effectively. Yeah. And so if they didn't do those effectively, it would have been a worse movie. Yeah. Is what your argument is. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, no, my, my argument is that it's, it's a fine balance because if you're going to talk about themes of like bullying, hazing, grief and trauma, Mm -hmm. and you're going to utilize child actors and Mm -hmm. you're going to, you know, sell this as a big mainstream picture uh then you you you, it's a delicate balance for sure so it's about finding the right actors and the right kids and uh well and child actors to really uh portray those things and live those truths okay i mean i don't disagree that the the balance in the acting was good Mm -hmm. i just i don't think that the argument that it could have been worse is you know I mean, a lot of movies could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, I we mean, we could go, we could go way down. We could go down some dark rabbit holes. You well, know? <laughs> I'm curious, what what makes you think I think it's worse? No, I, 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 you were just saying like, well, if we had this, uh, you know, emotional narrator, mm-hmm. and and I don't, where where do we have a, an effective emotional narrator, and what, in what way would that ever be a choice that somebody would make? I don't know. Right. I, I guess I was going back to the, what, what you had said earlier about the mm. idea of like, you know, it's an emotional experience. It's, an, it's inherently emotional if, right. you're, if you're talking about the past from mm-hmm. like a grown up perspective. It didn't mean that he inher- was inherently going to act overly emotional. Mm. Um, I think that the narration is very much just a narration. Yeah. Um, mm. Um, I really wouldn't want him to like use a Bugs Bunny voice, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I feel yeah. like we're talking about the narrator a lot, which mm-hmm. I think is important. Yeah. But I also want to know, like, what is he narrating? Is there enough story there? Because I was going to say generally when I when I see this is where um, Brian is afraid to get into it because he knows I'm that I'm not afraid right. to get into it. When yeah. I see a movie in a minute that goes under, and I was the defender for the Sandlot, and yeah. a movie in a minute went way under. It's generally because there's some form of, and then some things happened, and then the actual plot happened. So I want to right. know more about. The actual plot and the things that happen. Yeah. Well, and in a lot of movies, when and then some things happened, happened. They were things, and they weren't like ten scenes about a, where they the kids sing a song that's on the top forty at the at the year that it's supposed to be. Or, I mean, there were some really beautiful landscape shots in that film, but they were just <laughs> landscape shots, you know, and. And it, it, it just felt like there was a lot of filler because there wasn't a lot of content to fill it out with. Which is probably why Stephen King was so gung-ho about it because they didn't really add much, you know. They were kind of being conservative about that. Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about things that happen in the film, like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a very simple story. Like, boys, like... Are find out that there is a body out there. Um, it is found out from a the uh, Vern's older brother who is in a gang with the Kiefer Sutherland character. What's the Kiefer Sutherland character oh, name again? Ace. Ace. Um, and then it becomes these sort of like parallel plots of like the core plot. You know, are the is Gordy's gang and then Ace's gang essentially trying to find this body for different intentions. With Gordy's gang, it's more of like uh, let's find this body and be heroes. With the with the other gang, with the Kiefer Sutherland gang, Ace's gang, it's more of like a, let's get the glory 
story of this thing. So they're both kind of going into it with the same thing, but those intentions and objectives change when they realize Gordy through his conversations with Chris and seeing how traumatized Teddy is when the junkyard guy like totally bullies him and brings up his dad and all this other these and other that obstacles. one scene where everybody sings the lollipop song. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, <laughs> but like they're like they're kids though. You want to show them like they they're not all just brooding teenagers. You know, like they they're silly. Like they have not. they sing songs and are silly and it, they sing a lot of songs. And it's yes, very they do. And, <laughs> and it's cinematic in the sense of like like uh, you know the lollipop scene. I, I know you're, you're referencing to is like I, I, it's kind That's of. That's just when it hit me. That was like you yeah. know in in the <laughs> ten minute yeah. cuts. It was just like the third time they opened a scene with this like yeah top forty song. Yeah. Playing out. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I found the lollipop song to be like kind of a, like, kind of a, like a, like a breathing moment where it's like, mm. I think there was a scene before that that's a little like intense. And then it's like, oh, like we get a little bit of like these kids and we get to see these, we get to see how much these kids love each other too. Yeah. Through, through these, Aww. like, through these songs and through, <laughs> um, through their kind of like jokes with each other and like, uh, and, and, and to add some tribute to that, like Rob Reiner, who is a theater trained actor and like, mm-hmm. uh, did a Viola Spolin improv exercises with these kids in a hotel room so oh. that they would feel more comfortable with each other. And I feel like that is what wins the audience over and makes them feel like, Oh, like, um, I feel like I know these kids. I've been these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, then, you've been these kids. I, I was, I don't know. Maybe I, I just don't feel like I've been those kids. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the plot, uh, other plot things that are like, it's more subtle than just like, because if you've got a simple story, they're going on an mm-hmm. adventure to grab the body. Little tiny things happen. Like I feel like in a good short story, where in a, mm-hmm. in a good short story, it's never about like the big dramatic chase or this big action thing. It's always mm-hmm. about the little nuances and subtle things that happen. So, um, and maybe not so subtle, but like, for example, when um, Chris pulls Teddy off the tracks when mm-hmm. the train like any's you know that's very indicative of teddy and we see a lot of growth there and we also see a lot about chris as a person too is mm-hmm. that um and then speaking of chris when chris talks about the, the money the taking the milk money and then mm-hmm. you find out this whole other context that we're not aware of and how you know he gave the money back and then the teacher uh took the money to buy a dress and then chris has this cathartic emotional breakdown where he's like like why do people have to be like this? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it goes back to my theory of like the, the theme of, of the idea of like, these are parents uh, and adult figures who have totally fucked these kids up. Like mm-hmm. they've fucked these kids up. And like what we're seeing is these kids have to make their own realities. So it takes a dead body, them going out and being like, you want to see a dead body mm-hmm. for them to do, because they're so, they're just looking for something that's real. And they're looking for something that like doesn't, that isn't like bullshit to them like and i think right. when chris sorry when gordy finally sits down and he cries and you see mm-hmm. chris like comforting him it's like they can they o- they can only comfort each other they mm-hmm. can't they're not comforted by parents so i think if you have a simple story mm-hmm. with a simple story it allows for that emotional depth yeah but i, I just feel like you can have emotional depth and forward moving action, you know? And I'm not arguing that the, the scene on the train, either of the scenes where yeah. one kid pulls another kid mm-hmm. off of the train tracks mm-hmm. are, aren't, they're visually stimulating. They are, there is a little bit of tension in the scene. You know, there's, a, there's something going on. Yeah. There's a lot of scenes where 
there are there there isn't much going on you know and and it's okay to have a few of those like it makes a lot of sense for me to have yeah. a, a little breather here and there but it really just it piles on in this movie it just kind of goes on and on and on and then i saw a deer while reading a comic book and then <laughs> but like that's such a like important scene i mm. think like because it it shows you a couple things one it shows you like how it just shows you how much how much uh, different Gordy is from the rest of the group. Like, mm-hmm. he, he can really appreciate that beauty. And also, like, he's so, all the time, and I was reading something about this on IMDb that kind of supports this, is, like, he's always with the kids. He's always with mm-hmm. these boys. But having this time alone, this time of solitude, shows that he truly is reflective and that he's truly, like, able to appreciate beauty and that he's not he's not totally foregone. Like, mm-hmm. he's not totally, like, fucked up. He's able to see something for what it but is and appreciate that. What about all of the rest of his character development makes us think that, you know, we can infer those kinds of things without having to watch scene after scene that mm-hmm. kind of just slows the action, you know? And and there's a lot of arguments for those those kinds of slow-moving stories where it's like, well, this scene is meaningful because of the, you know, the use of the color blue and it's like, yeah, sure. I so one thing I keep kind of hearing from Amy is these like subtle references to how her experience has been different. Female friendships are different. Yeah. And I'm wondering, Brian, because yeah. you talk a lot about these kind of emotional resonant moments and how mm-hmm. these kids found family with each other. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what do you take about the fact that they drift off, that they're not close anymore? Because to me, like as a woman, I think that would be different. Yeah. I mean, to- <laughs> totally. Like, I mean, it, the, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is like that—that's a hard for, thing for me to respond to because it's like I don't—I don't want to—I <laughs> don't—I can't speak to that. Like I can't, but I—but I can say that like I think that the fact is that we don't—we only get so many hints of like emotional intelligence between these two kids, specifically with Gordy and Chris. It's like the—I I think. This kind of goes back to what I was going to go back with, like, the point of, like, what do we learn about Gordy, mm-hmm. right? And I think we learn, we're learning his catharsis through the film in the sense of, like, he's an older writer going back and having this reflection and mm-hmm. looking back on this experience because it's triggered by hearing about his friend Chris dying. Yeah, that's right? the big ending reveal. But then the narrator right. himself is not emotional. So, yeah. like, has this been hard on him that his friend has died? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, I know that, like... I feel like it's like when you look back on a traumatic experience from your own, you know, it's not, I feel like I can look back on something and talk about something that's happened in my family, family death without, at this point in my life, without feeling like I'm going to totally collapse. But the more and more I dig into it, the more depth I get into it, um, I start to remember and memories are triggered. And I think that's what the, the film does really well. It's like, let's go deep, 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 deep down into the layers of this, this one person's uh, uh, memory and specifically these formative experiences with trauma. I think that, sorry, I, it, it kind of feels like a corner turn for now, but I think that that's an interesting um, point that the film seems to try to make and, and never quite confronts because it's working so much with the children mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like it 
when you are an adult and you haven't seen your childhood friend for 10 years and you weren't really friends with him after high school, you know, like, how do you feel when you hear about his passing, you know, mm-hmm. especially when it's in such a, a violent way that makes you feel like, oh, yeah, that was really that was really my friend. That's something that, you know, like where where do those emotions take you and like, how do you deal with that? Because it's it's interesting it's an interesting adult feeling that you get, you know. It's not something that children really feel, you know. It's it's something you have to confront at some point. Um, and it just never, like, that's, that's an interesting emotion that I feel like maybe everybody has, but nobody really confronts or talks about, you know, in, in any meaningful artistic way. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> Side note, I guess. Something to think of. Yeah. <laughs> We've about reached a time to unmask, mm. so uh, let's go ahead and let's do that. Uh, t- uh, Brian, tell us how you really feel. Yeah, I like this movie. Oh, uh, okay, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I, as I mentioned before, like I think it's you know I I I think it's a great portrayal of coming of age. I think it covers a lot about like feeling. It, it tackles a lot of really complex themes in a really short time frame mm-hmm. and it really does a nice job of also making things wholesome and mm-hmm. accessible and funny there's still so very many funny moments in the movie we didn't talk about and like um but yeah i i still think it's a it's a great movie mm-hmm. my favorites. i you know maybe it's because i didn't really watch it as a kid but i'm not Still really not. into that I yeah. do see the value of the film and some some of it for reasons that you just you didn't bring up mm-hmm. um, and I didn't <laughs> want to give you that fuel you know to, fair sure uh, but I really you know I really see uh, like when I was a kid I was I was at that age I was becoming strangely aware of like class differences mm-hmm. and like how that really affects you know different people in my neighborhood Mm -hmm. um and it really confronts that like how these kids views of their future are are changed by class you know like by where they are in the class and yeah um in their which class they live in and blah 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 i don't know if i'm saying that correctly this is weird words (laughs) um and i also felt like it was a really interesting portrait of this kind of going from being a vulnerable allowed to be vulnerable being a child to going to being an adult and not being allowed to be vulnerable like i do find those interesting but i also so slow and yeah yeah i don't know it just it's it's doesn't it didn't hit me in the same it's it didn't really hit me emotionally i'm like yeah that that kid's dead mm. and maybe that's because <laughs> i have a cold dead heart <laughs> oh, just like that kid just like that kid uh, you know? casey yeah i'm a bit of a sucker for the like looking back on my childhood movies <laughs> um i did come here and defend the sandlot like two <laughs> years ago um and I also hold like in in my top four on Letterboxes now and then, which I would argue oh, is yeah. kind of the women's version of Stand by Me. Um, so I do like it. I don't hold it in as high regard as those two, though. So I think mm-hmm. there's some there's, 
And maybe it's just that I wasn't around in the 80s or the 50s, and yeah. so neither of those eras. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot in it for boys. Yeah, it just, I, it just I doesn't. I would agree with that. Like, I mean, I'm still friends with those friends that I had back yeah. then. Like and at that age. My dad was born in 51, and he mm-hmm. like that's the movie that he wanted to show my little brothers right <laughs> away. So I do think there is value in it. It's just it doesn't. It I don't hold it as highly as I hold the Sandlot, which I think appeals mm-hmm. more to my like small town heart mm-hmm. or now and then, which appeals to my womanly heart. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's up there. It's, it's good. Yeah. I think, uh, it was a good rewatch for me cause I hadn't seen it. I think I've probably seen this movie like once before, mm-hmm. you know, and it was always a movie to me that I never felt like I was like, Oh yeah, super favorite or anything. <laughs> and I think it's because I don't feel connected to either time period. Like mm-hmm. you're uh, like, Someone, somebody just said it. I me. already forgot. It was, it was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I I recognize that this movie probably like did as well as it did because of mostly I would say mostly nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is powerful, and I think that what made it like kind of last is its approach to like you know kids confronting emotions that kids don't always mm-hmm. have to confront um and i think that that's i mean and it's stephen king like finding something kind of hard to deal with in a normal kind of a normal situation right Mm -hmm. yeah and so i think that uh that's the value that i recognize in it i think it's i i totally agree that like it's probably not accessible to women like there's only literally like one female character in the whole thing and it's that mom Mm -hmm. So that because all we can be who is like does it, does it, <laughs> who is just like traumatized from her son's yeah. death yeah. forever and that, that's literally her character to yeah she's, she's standing just there sad. just like mindlessly mm-hmm. folding laundry yeah. which outside. is fair if she's like yeah by like her. I'm not saying that she shouldn't be traumatized <laughs> no. by ever because like yeah obviously, obviously like, but she there's lost nothing child, to compare but, it to yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and another thing that I also think is interesting is that like there's not really like there's no even female intervention for any of the characters, mm-hmm. like beyond Gordy they, being like, "My parents ignore me." No, oh. yeah, they talk about tits. That's, <laughs> that's well, what I, I mean, was thinking. They talk about twelve. I thought I mean, no, I thought also, that's what you were saying. I thought they the don't really period. talk about no, women. I'm saying like, like yeah, no, it's but they do. Come t- they do at some point have a conversation yeah. about tits, but that's really that's the it. only time they talk about women. This passes I mean, the yeah. opposite of the Bechdel test, whatever that would be. I mean, but yeah, I mean, like, but that's so, like, it's like a, it's I a think time it's capsule good. of the time period. It's yeah. like a mad, it's like Mad Men. It's like, well, but also Mad Men's, their female characters are a lot more. <laughs> a little more fleshed out. Developed. Anyways, yeah, I think it is. I think this movie serves yeah. as like, yeah, like a, a little bit of a time capsule <laughs> and maybe that's it. Um, it. I think I like it. I think it's good, but it's not, it's also, it's not one that I like will probably show anyone purposely. I mean, purposely, the cast you know? is pretty great. The cast is great. Like, yeah. Um... But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel. We can talk more about it in the extended play. Um, yeah. But, yeah, everybody, that'll uh, do it for Stand By Me. And if you want to listen to the aforementioned extended play, we're going to continue recording that right after this. It's just loose chatting. You can head over to our Patreon and, and get it. And a bunch of other fun stuff, too. It's at uh, patreon.com slash 24flamespod. If you've got thoughts about Stand By Me, you're some middle-aged dad out there that's offended by all of this, email us at 24flamespod at gmail.com. And 
other than that, you can find us on social media at 24flamespod. Uh, go and give a rating, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps more people find the show. And it helps us make the show better for you, the middle-aged dad. And that's uh, dad. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, oh, let me see if I can quickly look this up. Next week's movie, which I don't know if I've even we've decided yet when we're recording this. So... Oh, it's Jaws. Um, because Speaking there's yeah. some other random <laughs> shark movie coming out in that next week. 37 meters deep or some oh, weird 47. The, the sequel to 47 meters deep. Oh, really? 47 meters deeper, maybe? I don't know. No. There was another one. It came out last year. This is a sequel. That would okay. be a fun <laughs> movie to make a porn parody title for. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. I know. I'm sorry. Um, anyways. We should have quit that before. I should not have said every. I can't say everything. It pops into my head. <laughs> <laughs> next week we're talking sharks long story Shark. short so uh, yeah everybody uh, thank you for listening we will uh, catch you next week um, bye bye ciao Fish media. Yeah.